Hey there, Kendrick fans. So, uh, we're about to get started with our penultimate episode of Kicking It with Kendrick. Uh, but just before we do, this is one where I want to give a little bit of a content warning. Uh, on this episode, we are talking about the album Mr. Morale and the Big Steppers uh, by Kendrick Lamar. New album that just came out. Um, very excited to hear for you guys to hear our thoughts about it. We had a lot to say on this. I believe this is our longest episode of this entire series. So, uh, yeah, I am very excited for you guys to hear it. However, uh, if you've heard the album, Mr. Morale and the Big Steppers, this will not come as a shock to you. This album is very personal. It deals it on it. Kendrick is dealing with um, a lot of his own personal issues. He talks about therapy. He talks about toxic masculinity. He touches on some things that um, aren't uh, that aren't talked about in hip hop a lot, including homophobia, transphobia. Obvious. Well, racism is talked about in hip hop a lot, but obviously there's that too. Uh, I just want to mention that because I personally think it's pretty hard to talk about this album without getting personal and without getting into um, talking about those same topics. So there are lots of discussions in this episode of homophobia, transphobia, racism. Uh, as well, there's a lot of uh, song clips from this album uh, in a couple of the episodes. In, in a couple of the songs, uh, Kendrick uses some slurs that I think are kind of important to, um, if we're talking about his use of them, it's important for us to have that context. So I actually did edit out whatever slurs I could. Uh, I mean, if you want, you can go listen to the album for the full uncensored thing. This is not the album. This is just a review. So I edited out... Um, some of those that I could, but other than, you know, small snippets of songs here and there, this episode is presented without any more editing than we usually would or any less editing, so I thought it was just not good. I thought it would, um, it was more in the spirit of things to present our full thoughts without, like, cutting it down for length or size or content. Uh, just be warned that, you know, this content is fairly explicit i always put an explicit content warning on it anyway just because we sometimes say some naughty words but um this one uh i think that if you're sensitive to discussions of those things i mentioned earlier tr earlier transphobia homophobia racism um if you're sensitive to some of the language that is used on this album go in at, at the very least please listen knowing that that stuff may come up um and otherwise, maybe this is one you want to skip. I don't know. If you're only interested in our review, of, or if you're interested in skipping to our review of Anna Kendrick's uh, latest movie, Stowaway, you can skip to the time code that I am going to provide right here. One hour, 24 minutes. And otherwise, I hope you guys enjoy this episode. Here is, we're going to start off with N95, and then we're going to get right into the discussion of Kendrick Lamar's latest album, Mr. Morale and the Big Steppers. Hello, new world, all the boys and girls, I got some true stories to tell, 
get back outside, but they still lie. Take off the fufu, take off the cloud chase, take off the wifi, take off the money phone, take off the car loan, take off the flex and the white loss, take off the weird ass jewelry, I'ma take 10 steps, then I'm taking off top off, take off the fabricate streams and the microwave memes, it's a real world outside, take off your idols, take off the runway, take off the Cairo, take off the Sandro pay, five days stay, take off the meal, hella fine, take off the fuck flat, take off perception, take off the cop with the iPad, take off the allure, take off the unsure, take off the decisions I had, take off the fake deep, take off the fake woke, take off the I'm broke, I care, take off the gossip, take off the new logic, that if I'm rich, I'm real, take off the should know, take off the doje, take off the broken bag, take all that designer bullshit off and what Hello everyone and welcome back to... Is this the penultimate episode? I think for the time being, it is. Oh, wow. The I guess the penultimate episode. Or for those that actually, I I hope that's what it means. It's the second last episode. I know yeah, I'm yeah. trying to use fancy language, but I'm not even entirely sure if that's what it means. Of Kicking It With Kendrick, I am one of your hosts, Pierre Frigon. And I'm joined, as always, by Jeff Bowman. How are you, Jeff? I'm doing good. I think I've got a lot to say today, and, like, that's usually a good thing. Like, if I feel like I have a lot to say, then usually I have a lot of good stuff to say, too. Mm-hmm. But I trip over my words all the time, so maybe it's not a good thing. We'll find out. Yeah, this is a big episode, I guess. This is like I'd say this is almost like the climax of the series, in a way. Because this is... We were really lucky that Kendrick Lamar decided to drop an album to coincide with the end of our series. <laughs> Yeah. So thank you, Kendrick, for, you know, trying to... Uh, maybe he's just trying to steal our clout. That might be it, too. Kendrick is either a big fan or a clout chaser, or both. It's really hard to tell sometimes. But anyways, I know he's listening. So thank you, Kendrick, for, thank for you, doing Kendrick. this for us. And since you are listening, just, like, let us know. We'll do a special episode. You can come on the show. Like, it's we'll not a problem. You, yeah. yeah, just uh, reach out. <laughs> but yeah, this is the... I guess this is our review of part one of the episode where we're going to talk about Mr. Morale and the Big Seppers, which came out, I want to say, about a month ago? As of the time of this recording, I believe it was about a month ago. Yeah. May, 20- May 13th. Okay. So a little more than a month ago, as of the time of this recording. And this was his first album in five years. Uh, the last one being Damn, which we talked about last, last time we talked about a Kendrick album. We talked about it on our first episode, actually. Wait, really? Yeah. Wait, so we went from Damn to, to Pimp a Butterfly? Oh. We went Damn to Pimp a Butterfly and then this. Hmm. Oh, I, I'm, yeah, my memory's kind of shot. So yeah, this is his fourth... No, I think it's his fifth studio album. I'm not sure is if it? Section 80 is an album. I'm trying to remember. But... Yeah, it's, it's pretty long-awaited, especially after Damn. Well, he had Damn, and then he also had the Black Panther soundtrack, both of which were, like, really big. I mean, some of the biggest songs of the 2010s are from those two albums. You got Humble, which I think is, like, 1.8 billion listens on Spotify. Oh, yeah, and All the Stars, which also has, like, a billion listens. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that's so that's... That, it was, like, by far his commercial peak. So it's kind of odd that he took, I mean, maybe it makes sense he took a long time to step away from the the scene to come up with something that's completely different. Because I guess that's hard to top, you know. 
And uh, here we are at Mr. Morale and the Big Suppers. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, I mean, Daffle. he mentions it on the album, too. Like, there's at least a couple of lines on the album where he, where he like, talks about having writer's block for, like, five years. Mm. So, like, we'll talk about it as we go on in this album. But around 2015 to 2017, Kendrick Lamar is kind of positioned as the hottest shit that's ever existed. And, <laughs> like, on the one hand... That's kind of awesome because, like, he can literally do no wrong. On the other hand, imagine, like, the pressure of another album after that. Like, what do you release after To Pimp a Butterfly and Damn? And, like, I'm sure that no matter what he would have released, people would have been all over it. But at the same time, like, you know, there's the pressure of these last two albums are incredible. Like, whatever I put out next has to be also incredible. Yeah. Especially because I think Kendrick's someone that really doesn't want to redo something that's derivative of his past work. As we've seen, as all of his albums are like extremely different in style and in themes. Like I think he definitely he could probably put out another like political album like To Pimp a Butterfly. But I don't think he wants to talk about that stuff because he's already done it, right? And I think he did yeah. it the best he could at that time. Well, which is also, like, super weird, because this album is very political. And not just in the way that, like, all art is political. It's very, like, you know, for an album that's, like, five years in the making, this doesn't talk about anything old. This is all, like, current issues stuff. Yeah. Which is, like, it's the themes that he brought up here are extremely... It's, like, something, I guess, no one was really expecting to get from him. Um, if that makes sense especially like a lot of these themes specifically aren't very big in in hip-hop in general but then also if you just compare it to you know what he's done in the past i feel like i guess it's we've never really gotten like very personal stuff from him and this is an extremely introspective album Mm -hmm. as i guess you can kind of there's there's a few i don't know if it's maybe just once but there's a couple references to this album basically being his a therapeutic statement from him. And it's like, he's, this is therapy for him. Just talking about these things. Yeah. I, I would push back on the idea that we haven't gotten anything personal from him though. I've definitely felt that his last two albums, definitely increasingly so too, have been very personal. Like to pimp a butterfly was very political. And so like it had a personal element, but it was a very present personal element. And then I would say that was even more pronounced with Damn. I'm like, this is probably his most, at least most obviously personal album. Well, I'd say it's like, in those albums, it still felt like he had like the hip hop persona, if that makes sense, going on. Right. Like the way he was delivering it was very much like a, like a performance, right? Mm-hmm. Even though they, I guess, yeah, they, like, especially in, I know we didn't talk about it, but in, uh, Good Kid, Mad City um, from 2012. I think a lot of that is about him growing up mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And like the way he, he was living before he was a, a, fam- a successful rapper, a really successful rapper. So like it's, yeah, it's, it's a disservice to say he wasn't personal before, but I feel like in this, he it's like he doesn't feel like, he feels like a very vulnerable person rather than a, a rapper talking about himself, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, and uh, I guess, you know, as as what happens with therapy, he gets into a lot of very, um, I guess, interesting things. He talks about 
toxic masculinity. He talks about well, what what else? What else did you notice? I mean, like he says, he literally says "cancel culture" several times. He has a me- he has a line referencing memes. He he talks a lot about. There's one thing we'll talk about because, like, you have to talk about this if you're talking about this album. He talks about his relationship with a uh, transgender relative. He talks a bit about his persona, like within hip hop too. I think, like this album, for me, it feels like. After Damn, he's basically on top of the world. He can basically do no wrong, which, you know, weirdly enough, puts a lot of pressure on him to, like, actually do no wrong. Because he could release something garbage and it would be a bestseller, but it wouldn't be very good. So, like, I feel like a lot of that comes through in this album, where he's sort of taking it in a different direction. Because he can do no wrong, he's kind of using that platform to say what's on his mind and... He's very unfiltered, I think, on oh, this definitely. album. Like he took, like you said, he took that status that he had, and he was like, "How can I tear myself down as much, potentially as much as possible, in the eyes of the general audience that he, I guess, earned in the last album?" If that makes sense. Yeah, a little bit. <clears throat> and especially like, because I, I feel like even hip, like hardcore hip hop fans, might have trouble with this because he is talking about things that aren't that popular to hear in in hip-hop in the first place right so Mm -hmm. it's like he's fighting his fans he's like do you actually like me in a way let's see how much you actually like me it's a challenge i watched a video on this album that like put it in a really interesting way it sounds like kendrick is positioned among a lot of people as like a savior of hip-hop he's like the best there ever was and he doesn't want to be in that position. Like he doesn't want people to see him that way. He wants to, obviously he wants to do what he, what he does and what he likes doing, but like he wants people to, I guess, I don't know. Uh, I'm imposing a little bit on him here, but exactly kind of like what you just said, like, do you actually like me or do you like the fact that I'm, I don't know how to say it. But I'm the, the supposed savior of, of hip hop. Yeah. It's like, also with his last two albums, To Pimp a Butterfly and Damn, I mean, maybe we're part of the problem here. We talked about it on on the podcast. Like, these are just really good albums. And like, in the minds of some people, like these have elevated hip hop as an entire art form. Like, To Pimp a Butterfly is, like a lot of people consider it one of the best albums ever made damn won a pulitzer prize it's like these aren't things that are associated with hip-hop and like i don't know how kendrick feels about those things but with this album it kind of seems like he doesn't want to be he doesn't want that to be the expectation like every time he brings out an album he doesn't want people to expect like this is going to be the best album of the decade this is gonna win prizes that don't make sense this is gonna like he just wants to make a good hip hop album and he's positioned in a place where he can kind of do whatever he wants as long as it produces a good hip hop album. Yeah. Well, that's probably where a lot of the writer's block came from because again, he's yeah. like, how, how do you outdo all of that? It's probably really nerve wracking. So in a way it's, I think the only way to block that writer's block is to do, is to get, put yourself in a position where you don't, you kind of throw that all away. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Or like do things that you 
we could possibly throw that all away. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what you like. I mean, this album is, <clears throat> I'd say overall, like it's because it's very personal. It's, it is pretty hard to casually listen to in a lot of ways. The production is a lot quieter and it's just not as like grand and epic as a lot of his other stuff, which makes sense. I think because of the personal nature of it, yeah, it's much more focused on him and his voice and what he's saying than anything before. And that's why I like, I, I think it, because this is the first time that I feel like I've been able to to really connect to a Kendrick album in terms of what he's saying. Because I feel like, you know, it's stuff like To Pimp a Butterfly and Damn, like he's talking about these things that like are really interesting, but also I've never really experienced, you know, like I don't know what it's like to grow up black in America, you know, and I'm not mm-hmm. extremely familiar with the political climate and how it it's like to live there. And then in Damn too, I still don't really understand what Damn's about. <laughs> but like, he's talking very like, abstractly, right? And there's a personal yeah. story there, but it's disguised in like poetry and metaphors and stuff. But this mm-hmm. is just like, it's very raw. It's very unfiltered. Um, he's talking about things that I feel like technically anyone could relate to. Mm-hmm. But also, I'm not entirely sure people always want to hear stuff that... Because it, it kind of makes you uncomfortable in a way with how deep he gets into these things. Yeah, he gets uncomfortably personal in a lot of places is, I think, a good way to put it. Because, like, there's a song on here called... It's called We Cry Together, where he has uh, Taylor Page on mm. it as a uh, as a guest. Give me my keys, I'ma be late for work. Fuck your job, today gonna be the day you walk to that bitch. Give me my fucking keys. Nah, I like you parked in that bitch. Kind of similar to some of the interludes from To Pimp a Butterfly, where, like, he's just, like, reciting poetry or he's in, like, a conversation or something. We Cry Together is him having an argument with Taylor Page, and it is, like, it's just uncomfortably blunt. Like, it's supposed to be uncomfortable anyway, because it's literally an argument. But, like, they're not dressing up what they're saying at all. When he's complaining about something, he's being very frank, and it's very clear what he's complaining about, or what she's complaining about, and, like, what's happening. Which is, not that Kendrick Lamar's music has ever been, has ever been necessarily difficult to interpret when you look at the lyrics, but, like, there's no interpretation needed here. It's just right there. Yeah. Yeah, that's and that's like that's a five minute track. It's actually the oh, yeah. longest. No, it's the second longest track on the album. Crazy to think about, and it's just two people yelling at each other, which is crazy. I think you could have theoretically, like, if in a more consumable album, and if you wanted something like this, you could have made this an interlude of like maybe a minute. In a more consumable album, this that song would not or be also there. wouldn't exist. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is like, yeah, that's so it's crazy that that's there and it's as long as it is. Um, But yeah, it's really listening to the whole thing. I mean, like me personally, I, I feel like it was it's more interesting for me because like I were I guess like I, I've never been in a fight like that or I've never like my I've never seen a relationship fight like that. So it feels mm-hmm. more cinematic to me. But I know like I had a friend who listened to the album and he said it reminded him of, like, his childhood or something. It's, like, really heavy, right? <laughs> like, yeah. So, you know, like, it's crazy that... I guess, I guess that's, like, the most surface-level example of what he's trying to do here. Like, that's just basically a five-minute track of showing 
an unhealthy relationship. And potentially, I guess, what Kendrick and his wife were like at a time, or even currently. I don't know. He has, he's very private with his life, so I'm not going to judge him in his marriage, but like that, that is something you probably don't want in your relationship could be wrong but i don't believe kendrick lamar is married like i think it's his longtime fiance oh sorry yeah it might be a a girl i don't know if they actually married but his partner i guess like yeah that tracks crazy yeah and the same thing with i think father time gets into the toxic masculinity stuff because there's some stuff about i don't know which song he talks about it in but he talks about like being unfaithful to his partner um, or his girlfriend, and also, I guess, being a flawed individual, and in that track, he's pointing out a lot of, like, what his father taught him, you know, like, which is also pretty heavy, uh, it's actually one of the catchier tracks, too, on the album, <laughs> despite... Sorry, despite which one are you talking heavy. about? Uh, Father Time, featuring Sampha. Sampha has a great chorus on that, by the way. That there was you were talking about it earlier. We were talking about it earlier. Auntie Diaries, mm-hmm. uh, where he, he he talks about. I think it's his it's his uncle, right? I'm right. unsure. I guess, it's his, I guess it's his. Yeah, no, I think it is his, his aunt. Uncle. I believe it's his aunt who transitioned. Yeah, I I need to listen. His aunt to is a that. transgender woman. Okay. if I remember. It's it's actually it's very difficult to interpret just from the lyrics of that, which is one of the biggest problems I have with Anti Diaries. Yeah, um, but yeah, that, that that's a song about struggling to because I I'd say homophobia has been actually for a long time and still is kind of pretty big in hip-hop culture Mm -hmm. and And like uh, transphobia i'm not even i'm not even familiar with that as a concept in hip-hop not because it doesn't exist but because it's so pronounced it's just not something that comes up yeah yeah exactly i mean transphobia is still pretty big but i i when i was reading about the album i heard that it is particularly big in black communities I'm not sure how true that is, but that's just something I read. So It is also something I've heard, though, again, I can't speak from experience there. Yeah, and I, I'm not sure what Kendrick's... I mean, he, he talks about it there, but it, the way he talks... Because before, I guess in, in other albums, it feels like he's much more confident in like the message he's trying to put forward. In songs mm-hmm. like that, it's, it really is like a therapy session because he's like not sure what the message is. And he's not mm-hmm. sure what he's trying to say, but he's just putting his thoughts out there and hoping that like they kind of make sense. He's not necessarily condemning transphobia in it because in a way he's admitting that he has trouble with it himself, I think. Mm-hmm. Which is really interesting because this is part of the thing where he's not putting himself up as a savior anymore. He's, he's showing that he is very, very confused person despite all of the stuff that's come before. Mm-hmm. And I think that's probably the track that most, it's by far the most controversial one that people have been talking about. Specifically, I guess he, he uses, he uses a, a homophobic slur in it multiple times. I think the LGBTQ community wasn't too happy with that. 
for obvious reasons. We should definitely talk about Auntie Diaries, but I think just before we start talking about all the problems with this album, do you want to really quickly talk about like what's good about it, like the highlights? I guess we've talked in general, but are there any like specific sure. tracks that you want yeah, to Yeah, I guess about? that's going to be a long topic. So <laughs> I think like just going through the track list, I love, I think N95's a solid banger. Can I feel my truth? I got nothing to lose. I got problems and booze. I can swim on my fate. Cameras moving whenever I'm moving. The family suing whenever I make. Murder is stacking. The president acting. The government taxing my funds in the bank. Homies ejecting the fence when I'm breaking. Look at my reaction. My pupils are Like That's the most, like, obviously mm. radio hit type of song. And Baby Keem has a really good hook there. Die Hard is really catchy. I love, I think, Amanda Reifer. I love her, her chorus on this track. I don't know. I don't know what the words. I was like cherry, cherry, cocoa puff, or something like that. I think that's, that's probably it. like my most yeah. listened to song on the album because of that. I love that. And Kendrick has actually has like a pretty good vocal performance there too. It's mm. a very nice song. Uh, Father Time, I love the beat on that and the topics. Purple Hearts, I feel like Purple Hearts hasn't been talked about that much, but it's actually a really good track. And I think like the the features uh, really push it forward. Summer Summer Walker has a really good feature there. She has a great voice. Keep me going and I'm Rolling sevens, I ain't ready for no call. And Ghostface Killer has like this, it's almost like a preaching type of feature on it verse that I really like too. Mostly Count Me Out's really catchy. I love that one. Count Me Out is so weird to me because like Kendrick Lamar, when he starts his verse in Count Me Out, he sounds exactly like Anthony Kiedis from the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Oh, really? Just right at the beginning, which is so weird to me because it's like, these are not two similar people. One of these lives, I'm going to make these right with the wrongs I've done. That's one of you not with the father, son, till then I fight. Rain on me, put the blame on me. Got guilt, got hurt, got shame on me. Got six magazines that's aimed at me. Done every magazine was fame to when me. When I first heard me. Count Me Out, I actually thought he got a Red Hot Chili Peppers feature for some reason and i was like Wait, are you Why? talking about like the the but, falsetto part where they're going like are you talking no about like the... literally right at the beginning like the very first time that kendrick speaks oh, on count me out okay because he's are you talking about like, like almost up to the like first kind of whisper he's almost like he's whispering his, yeah. his verse right yeah i thought that was a really interesting way of delivering it mm-hmm. but i i really like i like the delivery and i think the count me out part's really catchy and the beat. Mm-hmm. I actually like the production on that one a lot. Yeah. Oh, I, I know you said you liked Silent Hill. I really yeah. like Silent Hill. Also, I mean, like, just because you didn't mention it on disc one, I like Worldwide Steppers a lot and Mr. Morale. Mm. Like, I always like the more aggressive tracks, but mostly just because I like really nice bass lines. Oh, yeah. And, like, Worldwide Steppers has an awesome, awesome instrumental. That one might be my most listened to on this album. And then Silent Hill is really funny, actually. Like that's that's the main reason I <laughs> like, like it. What, but I think it's part? Oh like the like like the are you talking about the chorus where he's like he keeps going, uh, oh yeah. Push these bitches on me like Yeah, I like that. I like it when Kendrick's kinda goofy. It, I think it's funny. 
yeah. he's good at that. And then Mr. Morale is really good, too. Yeah, I'm surprised Mr. Morale is that late in the track list. It's, it's kind of a banger. Potentially, like, more of a banger than, like, N95. So I, I, I really, I'm kind of surprised you didn't put that in, like, the, the front of the album, honestly. Like, I'm not sure which song on Damn it reminds me of, but it reminds me of, like, the feeling I got from Damn. Mm. Because Damn was a really, not exclusively... But especially compared to like to Pimp a Butterfly, it was a really aggressive album. And Mr. Morale is the same thing. Like it's it's yeah. that kind of song. It would not be out of place on. Yeah, Dan. I felt like a humble. I mean, I, especially the beat. I I feel like if he delivered it more intense, it definitely could have fit in very easily on Damn. Mm-hmm. But yeah, he he's he is kind of doing the whisperer rapping on that one too, in some parts mm-hmm. at least. So, uh, yeah. Oh, and then uh, Mother I Sober has a beautiful piano uh, accompaniment, I guess, for production on that. I really like. Anybody but myself. Oh, I wish I was somebody. I guess those are just like kind of the, yeah, the basic highlights um, before we get deeper into it. Was there any, was there any other tracks you want to shout out? No, because like I want to shout out those tracks because I like them. But the thing is, with I want to say two exceptions, the tracks on this that I really, really like, I like because I enjoy listening to them. I actually don't have that much to say about them. Yeah, it the album might be a little like I, I feel like he could have cut a couple of these tracks out because there's a couple tracks I think I feel like the themes aren't were already like there and he doesn't need to repeat them like. Mm-hmm. I don't know, like, I I don't really remember Crown that well. And I guess even though it's, like, he talks about, like, the Savior stuff, he talks about that on Savior as well. And I, th- I feel mm-hmm. like he kind of mentions it on Count Me Out. So I feel like a track like that doesn't necessarily have to be there. Although, like, that does make this album feel a lot more like a therapy session. Because, like, you go into a therapy session and, like, you want to segment all your thoughts, but you end up talking about the same thing five times. That's true, yeah. Well, that's a good point. Um, in some ways, I kind of wish he stuck more with that theme, like in terms of more the presentation rather than the the songs. I think, like, I think the track list is fine, but mm-hmm. like, I, I'm not, I'm still not entirely sure what Mister Morale and the Big Steppers is supposed to be referring to. I just know, like, because at the end of one of the songs, I can't remember which one, but he, there's a someone says, "Stop tap dancing around the issues." <laughs> Because you hear, like, tap dancing throughout the album. And that's, I guess that's just kind of a cute reference to Kendrick avoiding his his problems or his issues. Um, so whenever you hear tap dancing, that's that's him avoiding them. Well, and also, if you think about it, like, I don't know if this is the intention here, but we're just talking about how, how this album is, like, very blunt with its issues a lot of times. Yeah. Like, I got the impression that, like, to pimp a butterfly and damn were not being subtle with what they were talking about. But compared to this album, they totally were. So yeah. like <laughs> that could also be like that could all the tap dancing throughout the album could also totally be just like a reference to, you know, I wasn't telling you anything before and now I'm laying it all out there. Yeah, maybe. So yeah, I'm, I'm guessing. And then Mr. Morale is just him having morals or like, I don't really know what's going on there. 
I don't fully but. understand because it's so late in the album too. It feels weird for Mr. Morale to be like just when I'm looking at this track list, it would feel weird if Mr. Morale isn't tying up some of the loose ends of the album. But I just don't know what they are because like Yeah. 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 No, I feel like I because I, cause I was thinking about doing like like reading all the lyrics to the album before reviewing it. Mm-hmm. But I also feel like that's cheating in a way because <laughs> I feel like it has to come through the music, if that makes sense. That makes um, sense. He, uh, and if he's not making it entirely clear, then that's kind of a flaw. But anyways, do we want to talk about, do we want to get into the controversies now, the deep stuff? I think we do. I think we okay. got to talk about... Okay, so I have them listed in this order. Do we want to talk about anti-diaries first, though? Because we already kind of started on it. Yeah. Makes sense. Okay. <laughs> Just to sort of bring us back to where we were, what did you think in general of anti-diaries before we, like, get back into the actual meat of it? Um, I, I mean, like, I think the chorus is a little on the nose. But other than that, I think it's a very, like, listenable track. And I love how it... The, it's kind of like a the epic orchestral ascension towards the end of it, um, where he slowly starts speaking louder and the instruments start like harmonizing and growing. I love that. So yeah, I think like production wise and like delivery wise, it's it's really good, except for the chorus. The chorus, I mean, it's not supposed to be catchy, but also the lyrics are too on the nose for me. Yeah, I mean, the lyrics being on the nose, you hit the nail right on the head there. Like that's, I think the lyrics are too on the nose. But also, I do not understand what he said. Like, I can't follow this story. I try so hard to understand what he's saying, and I don't fully grasp the sequence of events. So, like... Yeah. I mean, personally, I don't love this song. I really respect it, because it does definitely sound like he's working through something. But I don't know how to feel about this song, because I think that there's something... It's really interesting for there to be a song on this album that's so unfinished in this way. Like the song itself isn't unfinished, but it feels like the thought that he had that made that he needed to write down and put into a song wasn't fully thought through because he was working it out. The way it sounds in this album, it sounds like he was working through that all the way until he was in the studio, literally singing it. So like, I respect (laughs) that, but Well, like, I kind of wish that was in a different track because I think that, like, the stuff he's talking about in uh, Auntie Diaries kind of deserves to be fully fleshed out before he talks about it, in my Mm. opinion. But I don't know whether I think this song is black and white, good or bad, or somewhere in between, because I think that, like, it just feels like an unfinished thought And I want him to finish that thought. But because all I have is the unfinished thought as a song, I don't know what the resolution is. Well, that's what I think. I I feel like personally, if there was a resolution to it, it would fight against the theme of the album. I wanted to kind of say that too, is like, I don't know if I want this song to exist, basically. Because you're, you're right. If there was a resolution to this song, to the stuff that he's talking about, yeah, I would fight against the themes of the album and I think it wouldn't be a good song. Like, the reason this song is as interesting and there's as much to talk about it as there is is because it's so confusing. That's Mm -hmm. why I don't like it. 
but I don't know that that not liking that me not liking it is from a I think it's bad sort of feeling, or if that's me being like, yeah, that's the point. You're like you're not supposed to like this. This is someone working through a thought that he doesn't understand, and you're not yeah. supposed to understand it either. That's fair. Like I, I get what you mean. I, I I don't I don't like it when it feels like because I remember <laughs> this is such a weird callback when. It, what we're talking about reminds me of what we're talking about the Joker and like how it was like trying to bring across a message, but like it really had no message. Um, mm-hmm. But I, and I kind of see what you mean in terms of, I guess it wasn't necessary to have on the, like, I think that you could have cut this and it's not because it's not like he mentions issues with homophobia and transphobia and himself like elsewhere in the album. It's not like he's culminating these thoughts or anything in a track, but mm-hmm. I think if it is something that that bothers him and he confuses him as it as it seems it does, and I think it's it's nice to have it just as a kind of a screenshot of what what is going on in Kendrick's brain right now, because again that that's kind of I guess what it's supposed to be. So I hope. I mean, no disrespect to Kendrick with this, but it actually reminds me a lot of uh, a podcast I was listening to earlier today. And I want to shout them out because uh, anyone who's listening to this should actually go check them out. Uh, I was listening to an episode of Bad Dad, Rad Dad today on Spotify, and they were talking about Bo Burnham's Inside and how like, like they watched that and it was just a lot to process and they didn't, and they, like they didn't even understand those feelings until later on and i think that like i think that's kind of the same way here is i think that if this song wasn't on the album the album would be a little less for it but i also just like can't fully get behind this song either like it's almost critic proof in a way because all of the things that i have that i can criticize it about are things that i personally think are super useful to actually have in this uh in this song and um, the connection to Inside, now I remember what I was getting at. Bo Burnham in the past, and like very different artist than Kendrick Lamar by for millions of reasons. Mm. But like <laughs> Bo Burnham, he's made so many things in the past. This is what they were talking about on Bad Dad, Rad Dad. Now I've gotten my thought back. Mm. Uh, he's made a lot of videos in the past that like he's not super okay with now just because he was 16 in 2006 16 year olds nowadays would have a very different experience. And in fact, a lot of the things that, you know, I'm really glad I didn't have a YouTube channel when I was a kid. Cause I don't think I would have done anything that would have been like super awful. But at the same time, like I probably was, you know, a lot of the things there's, there's lots of stuff that I did as a kid that I'm not proud of. And like the connection there to auntie diaries is this is, I respect Kendrick for working through this. I hope that if this is actually an album, like if this is actually an album, like a therapy session and he's like going through stuff, then I hope that like in 10 years, he looks back on this and goes, you know what? I made, I might've made that different if I was Mm. doing it today. And like, it's important that he didn't make it different since he's doing it today in 2022. But like, I mean, it's, it's like you said it's that important snapshot of growth right well i feel like in this though that like he he knows what he's doing is 
is kind of bad if that makes sense or wrong yes um so that's why like i don't think this is this isn't necessarily like something where like like we we have when like someone tweets something like james gunn and then 10 years later people look back on and be like what the hell like what was he saying that's that's terrible in today's context and even though back then it was like relatively okay kendrick like he's saying this stuff in a political climate and just not political it's like a the general the general feeling uh, is that a lot of these things are are pretty inappropriate but Mm -hmm. i think he knows that but he's still putting it out there anyways i think in 10 years he'll just be more like he'll be more like that that is a screenshot of me at the time Uh, i don't think he'll like regret saying it or anything like i don't think this was like a a mistake yeah i think that might have been I may have expressed myself a little wrong there. Like, I don't think that, I don't think Auntie Diaries is the equivalent of a very offensive tweet. I think it's really interesting that like, it's, it's a snapshot of him actually working through this. And like, when I say in 10 years, I hope that he looks back on it and is like, I would make that different today. I don't mean that as in him looking back on this in the future and being like, I shouldn't have made that track. I mean that more as like, I understand now what I was confused about. Because Mm. I think that's the interesting thing about Auntie Diaries is he's like, it straight up is just almost five minutes of someone working through a really weird issue that he doesn't understand. And that's what's so hard to listen to about it because I am very confused by what that story is because he presents it in a confusing way because it's confusing to him. Yeah. Yeah, and he still will that like especially the way he ends the track and that he's what he, he basically he ends it saying why is it okay he's questioning his ability because he says the I don't know, the f the f word slur at uh, at this point in the podcast I may actually uh, just like cut out a sound clip of him saying it because I wouldn't feel comfortable but I think it's important to get the context yeah. But yeah, he says it. We can say it together, but only if you let a white girl say at the end. And he's like, "No, it's only okay for me to say if I can let a white girl say the n word." Because there's mm-hmm. a very famous clip of like I think three or four years ago of Kendrick has a white fan on stage who uh, he asked her to sing one of his songs, and she says the n word in the performance, and he asked her to stop and re and re re-sing it without saying saying that word right um i didn't remember that that was kendrick oh yeah wait who did you think it was i i don't know i just hadn't actually thought about that clip in years oh yeah i actually i didn't see it until this uh until uh reading about it online and referencing because it was referencing that directly but Mm -hmm. like it, it is interesting that he's he's questioning that but then also like it feels hypocritical in terms of, like, I feel like if a white rapper was to say the N-word, even if it's, like, socially... Because, like, I, I'd say, like, I'll, in some ways you could say Kendrick saying the slur is okay because he's saying it in, not, in a non-derogatorial sense in the context of trying to grow and not use that word, right? Yeah. But then I feel like especially based on Kendrick's past. And he's referencing that, but if, like, we had a white rapper who was, like, learning to not say the N-word and then said it on a a track, I feel like they would be cancelled immediately. (laughs) Yeah. 
and Kendrick would probably call them out like he did on stage. So it feels hypocritical, but then also he's saying it's hypocritical in the song as well. So it's yeah. like very confusing. I and mean, that's why I say this is critic proof is because everything that we're talking about here, he at least addresses and like he addresses it in an interesting way because like he's comparing his personal homophobia in his younger days and transphobia to like racism. And like, it's not that that's a completely invalid comparison, but it's just that like, you know, he would call someone out for that where he himself would not necessarily be like, he wouldn't call someone out for the other thing at the same time, at least not in the past. Right. And that's, so he's calling out that hypocrisy right, right away. But it's just like, it's an interesting comparison to draw, I guess. Yeah. But then also, I feel like him actually saying the word to me, actually, it like, it does not, I feel like there's sometimes there's like a shock factor thing, just saying it. And then mm-hmm. people be like, well, this didn't feel like a sh- this felt like an artistic choice because I feel like it does add to it, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I think like really the best discussion to be had here, and it's a dumb discussion is like, is that an artistic choice? That's okay. Cause like I, and that's, and the thing is like, I don't know if it matters at, at the end of the day. Yeah. Well, I think it's just, it's all based on, like context right i don't think well personally i don't think kendrick really cares if he gets canceled for this or not because like again i think he like knew what he was getting into by putting this stuff out there and again like i i feel like if because of the position he's in he can make songs like that and actually i don't want to say get away with it because i feel like it's like i'm saying he's like making he's doing something like really bad he's like committing a crime or whatever but he can, for the most part, still remain famous and respected, even after saying those words in a yeah. song. Right? Whereas if someone, whereas like basically like any other rapper did that, I feel like they would receive a lot of backlash. Um, and like, I've read a couple of comments on this song, and like comments. One person, I I don't know who it was, but someone pointed out that like. Also, Kendrick is able to reach an audience that probably needs to hear this message. Like this message is very, it's Kendrick working through his own homophobia and transphobia. And like, he's able to reach an audience that wouldn't go seeking that kind of message or wouldn't work on those things unprompted Mm -hmm. in themselves. And so like by making Auntie Diaries the way he did and putting it on this album, and like sandwiching it between savior and Mr. Morale and like making it as in certain ways, shocking as it is, like he's able to reach an audience and he's able to specifically draw their attention to this one track. I mean, among the others too, but like to this one, so that they pay attention and are like, can at least think about like something that on, on their own too. So like there is that as well. Although this is a hypothetical audience that I'm sure exists, but I don't know if that's actually true because the only people that would be making the point of he can reach this audience are people who are not that audience. Yeah, like I doubt like a majority of Kendrick Lamar's fans are from the LGBT community. <laughs> Just be- judging based off of what I've seen of his work and like who it connects with. But I, I do, I would say there are definitely a lot of fans from that community I think more of the audience that I was talking about is 
we we mentioned how we both heard we don't know from experience but like homophobia and transphobia are very big in the black community and the hip-hop community specifically and they're not things that are like talked about in hip-hop oh yeah a song specific yes a song specifically like working through transphobia is something that i'm sure a a lot of hip-hop fans need to hear right and kendrick is able to reach those hip-hop fans yeah that's fair again okay i just want to I just want to clarify, this is, all of these thoughts are extremely, you know, uh, subjective because, I mean, all thoughts are subjective, but I am a, I am someone completely, I am a, I am a basically white, straight male. None of these issues, like, actually affect me on a personal level, so. Yeah, for um, anyone just tuning in, if this is your first episode (laughs) of this podcast, we are two white, straight men in our, in our, in our our 20s to 30s, uh, talking about a straight white woman in movies straight, straight. so here's our here's our thoughts on kendrick lamar yeah so you just just saying like i i feel like yeah there's a lot of hot button stuff on this album mm-hmm. and like it's not that i don't want to talk about it but it's also that like that's part of why this album is as uncomfortable in parts that it is it's because it's like these are a lot of the stuff that Kendrick talks about on this album are important issues that somebody needs to hear. And I don't necessarily think that at any, at any of these points, am I that somebody? Yeah, exactly. I mean, like I, I like the track and I like listening to it and I feel like it's refreshing to hear because I don't particularly like it when artists are maybe like, because I think it's, I think it's okay to question your thoughts, if that makes sense. That's what Kendrick's yeah. doing. Is he's not, and this is my opinion, he's not being like a toxic person because he's putting just putting thoughts out there. And I don't think Kendrick, mm-hmm. even if he is like homophobic and transphobic, from what I can tell, he's not actively hurting people from those communities. Mm-hmm. Unless, I mean, like, unless this song ends up having a much bigger effect than I think it has. And I think that's okay, because you can't really control how you feel, um, but he's talking about it, and he wants to do better. So I yeah. think that's good, and I respect that. Yeah. Because you can't just, you know, just because it's much more accepted now doesn't mean a lot of people in the world are automatically going to be feel okay with it, but they can control their actions. And I think Kendrick... Like, from what I can tell, his actions are okay. He's just putting mm. his thoughts out there. Yeah. So, yeah. Anyways. Dude, that was a lot. I, that was like... You spent like 20 minutes on that track. <laughs> oh I think that's... Uh, that's actually a really good spot to switch over to Savior. Sure. Because Savior is... Savior is such a cool track. Kendrick made you think about it, but he is not your Savior. Cole made you feel empowered, but he is not your savior. Future said get a money counter, but he is not your savior. Brian made you give his flowers, but he is not your savior. He is not your savior. The lyrics of savior are like Kendrick talking about the position that we've sort of definitely mentioned a couple of times on this tra- on this podcast already. Like he can basically do no wrong. He's too big to fail. 
Uh, that same YouTube video that I guess I'll link now in the uh, in the description, but that same YouTube video I watched before pointed out that double albums, which this is, are usually a sign of an of a band that's too big to fail, just really testing their luck, and it's never usually a great idea. Even when it's not a bad album, it's still usually important in unfortunate ways. Because uh, the, the examples he used are the Beatles' White Album is considered by many to be the best album by the Beatles. Mm-hmm. It's also basically the turning point for when they started breaking up as a band. I mean, that, that was his big example that he used. Another example that he said that I will add context to is the Red Hot Chili Peppers Stadium Arcadium, which is made at the peak of their careers and is hot trash almost entirely it's like 30 tracks and 28 of them are garbage that's an exaggeration a little bit but most of it is so bad the point being he put out a double album which you know you don't do that unless you can basically pressure the record label into just letting you put out a double album or if they're willing to do whatever you want and so that's emblematic of like where he is in his career he's at a point where he can do no wrong the record label will put out basically anything he throws at them. Kendrick has pretty good quality control. So like he doesn't just throw shit at the wall and see what sticks. He actually does like put a lot of effort into his music for sure. This is a solid release if nothing else. But then, you know, if we look at the past to pimp a butterfly is, as we said, like still a lot of people hold that up as one of the best albums ever made. One of the best hip hop albums ever made just the best album of 2008 or whenever it was that it came out. That's not it. It was 2015, I think. And then damn won a Pulitzer prize. It's like he's sitting on top of the world and savior is sort of like, Hey, by the way, even though I have somehow landed in this position of I can do no wrong. I am apparently considered by many to be the greatest of all time. I'm also just like a dude, like I'm not going to solve world peace. I'm not going to, solve all your problems. I'm not going to elevate hip hop to like some art form that it isn't. That's kind of what that song is about. Is like, yeah, he's, a, he's an artist. <laughs> yeah. He's an artist. Like yeah. he's not, not your he's savior. not God. He's not your savior. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, I really like that because it's a really, to me, that's sort of this uh, savior is, is sort of like the, it's kind of like the big, it's kind of like the focal point of the entire album. A new Kendrick album is a really highly anticipated album for so many reasons. And a lot of those reasons are probably not reasons you should be anticipating a Kendrick album. Like this is not going to be the best album of all time. It's going to be yeah. another Kendrick album. Hopefully it's really good. Yeah. I think this was kind of felt like it was off the back of, I remember in 2020, we had the 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 this huge surge in uh, Black Lives Matters uh, protests. There was some talk about why big rappers, especially in like conscious rappers like J Cole and Kendrick, um, weren't speaking up about the issues, and they were. I I don't know if it was because I remember J Cole actually released a track in response to someone calling him out for that, and it felt a little untasteful for the time i can't remember what it was but like i remember it feeling off this felt like a much more measured response to that 
in mm-hmm. terms of like Kendrick. How do I say this? I think it's like not necessary for because I, I feel like Kendrick's already talked about it a lot, right? Like he tries to help his community with the money that he has, I think. Not on a huge scale, I don't think, but I think he's like donated money and stuff mm-hmm. here and there to help out. I'd have to like do my research on that, but it's questioning what is truly his responsibility as an artist to like go to these these protests um and actually yeah. and actually do stuff. Me personally, I don't feel like he's necessarily responsible to do that or he has any responsibility to need to go out there, especially like he's addressing here because I think there's a certain level of self-hatred here where he wants people to actually do things. Right? Yeah. He doesn't want people to depend on him to fix the issues. Because the truth is, as we can see in this album, he is also a very deeply disturbed and confused individual yeah. that probably doesn't actually entirely know how to fix things. Mm-hmm. Um, because what to, to fix a lot of the problems facing a lot of communities in America, like black communities in America, it's like it's very, you have to look at socioeconomic like social work, money, politics, like there's a huge level of stuff there that Kendrick does not have any experience in. So to look Mm -hmm. at him and be like, please fix these issues. People should be looking at politicians and people actually in a position to make these changes or do it themselves. Um, Because relying on one person and then just sitting back and listening to his music isn't really contributing to the cause, which I think he's concerned people do. So this is probably a very weird comparison to draw, but I actually just saw a movie the other day called Elvis uh, about Elvis. And there's a big scene in that where Martin Luther King Jr. is assassinated. And like that specific event isn't shown, but like that's, that's a big event in history and it's a big event in the movie. And like, you know, when that happens, they're all watching it on TV and someone says, Elvis has to make a statement. And it's, this is where I'm drawing that comparison. It's like, why does Elvis have to make a statement? Martin Luther King Jr. being assassinated is something that's going to affect the entire like uh, country, potentially more than that. And it'll probably affect Elvis in like some way. But like, and, and so if Elvis wants to make a statement, that's one thing. But why is Elvis the one that has to make a statement on this issue? And like, in this too, it's like, why is Kendrick the one that has to make a statement? The, uh, when you're an artist like the, like that, you have an incredible platform, but you didn't get that platform usually by being socially active. And like, if you were also socially active, that's awesome. But Kendrick didn't get, like he didn't get his platform as one of the biggest hip hop artists right now, maybe the biggest, because he was an activist. He got that platform because he's a rapper and he's really good at it. And if he would like to, and if like, I got, I think that any artist with someone like that, with some platform like that has a responsibility to basically use that platform for good, but they don't have a responsibility to like fix the world's problems. And they actually don't even have a responsibility to address every single problem. Like I do not necessarily care what Kendrick Lamar thinks of current tensions in Europe. It's not a problem he has to address. If he wants to, great. But he doesn't have to. Like, that's not his job. Yeah. 
No, but like even even if he was like Ukrainian or Russian, like I I don't expect Ukrainian artists living in Canada or America to shout their support for their country publicly because mm-hmm. um, it's like first of all it doesn't really do anything in my opinion it's they're just words right and i think it's like in some ways it's it's almost like well first of all well like once you put yourself in that position too people will expect more and when you don't deliver they'll be very angry at you right like for example um like if kendrick were to become a, a representative of the black community during the BLM protests that puts him in a really tough position because then he's becoming a political activist when he doesn't really, I don't know how much he actually knows about politics, but like just because he's good at that doesn't mean he'll be a good leader. And then if he doesn't follow through on, on his actions, then people will look at him in a unfavorable way. Right. Mm-hmm. And I don't think he wants to yeah, put himself in that position. And it's also insulting to, in some ways, to people that actually put in work but aren't seen as leaders of change, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And Kendrick, I think, also wants to respect that. Yeah, he has no, op- he has no <laughs> obligation to put himself in that, in that kind of role. And like with Savior, it sounds like he kind of has no interest in putting himself in that role. And he doesn't have to. Yeah. And I think that's, that's kind of the encompassing point of the album is that he's showing he is showing how vulnerable he is and how little he knows and that that's why he can't or there's no one person that can be a savior but he's he's revealing these flaws. Yeah, he's um, he's just a dude. And that's kind of why like some of the controversial things uh, other controversial things make sense because he it's like he's admitting it like he he does stupid things, immoral things. Yeah. Honestly, the controversy that he has gotten with this album is a really good controversy to have because it's not that he's being harmful to any community by explicitly like saying, I hate this community and I want them to die. He's (laughs) debatably harmful towards communities by being a flawed individual, which sucks, but also it's very, it's really relatable, right? Like that's the point of this album. Yeah. And I think anyone that thinks themselves like above Kendrick because he's he's talking about his very personal issues um, would be wrong because like I think everyone has issues on this level. They just don't necessarily always talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and the first step to fixing that is to talk about it. So um, mm-hmm. yeah, the, the last I think the last controversy we haven't really talked about was Kodak Black being on the album. Uh, yes. You said you didn't really know about this one. I actually wasn't familiar with Kodak Black until earlier today, so... Okay. Wait, did you listen to the album four times today? No, no, no. I listened to the album plenty, but, like, oh, I don't I don't like necessarily know who all the features are right oh, Okay, away. yeah, that's fair. No, I don't know any of these, that many of these either. But, yeah, so Kodak Black is basically a pretty big rapper that was recently accused of rape uh and i think he's like i think well, he has a court date to go to that but yeah i don't know the full backstory but i think and this isn't the first time he's been accused of some type of assault on a woman i think because um, he's been to jail before so yeah i don't really know what's going on there but that that was the controversy was that he's kendrick being 
the savior type figure that we've talked about before is putting a highly controversial figure on his album and promoting him. I guess that's why I don't know if this is the biggest controversy. It feels like the most valid controversy because this is actually one thing where you could argue that he's actually doing something wrong, not just being a flawed person because he's giving a platform to someone who probably shouldn't have a platform, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I guess like, what are your thoughts on it? I, I don't, I don't have many thoughts on this because I'm literally just hearing about it. That's so. fair. I, I, I think it's interesting in terms of like, well, first of all, again, I, one of the themes we haven't actually talked about is the, he talks about generational trauma in mm. this album and how it affected him. I mean, that's kind of one of the subjects touched on in Father Time is how a lot of his father's issues, and I guess the issues from his parents, because uh, he talks about also from his mother, I Sober, he talks about how, at least the story told in that song, is that his mom was abused by a family member. Mm-hmm. And she would consistently ask Kendrick if he was being abused by his cousin sexually. And even though Kendrick would say no, she kept asking him consistently. And that made Kendrick doubt his own thoughts at a young age and made him insecure about his family and stuff. And that mm. was a traumatizing experience for him. So, and, and that was when he didn't know that his mom was abused. So we didn't know where that was coming from. So yeah, anyways, so like, there's obviously like a lot of stuff from his mom and his dad passed on to him. And then he talks about his own flaws in terms of cheating on his wife are cheating on his partner and uh i guess he he we don't know and nothing necessarily but he was i think he he references having lived like being part of a gang i think in his youth right so he must have potentially committed some crimes mm-hmm. potentially so i think it's kind of hypocritical in terms of i think a lot of rappers right now have done terrible things in the past but they're pushed up but then and people are okay consuming their music until it's like if something culturally like because this this case with Kodak Black happened recently and that's why it's not okay. But if someone did something bad in the past and they haven't atoned for it, that but that's that's fine. And I think Kendrick's kind of struggling with that too, because it's potentially he's done some pretty bad things before he he became successful. And because he said Kodak Black reminds him of a younger him. So there is that that issue of Kendrick, because of the way the black community was treated in the past, there's a lot of trauma that came down to him. And he's trying to kind of work through those thoughts in the form of Kodak Black, because Kodak Black is a much younger person than him who is kind of currently doing things. But Kodak Black also is a victim of, I think it was, he was molested as a child. And potentially because of that he is doing terrible things so i think kendrick is just kind of putting that out there and using kodak black as a figure of generational trauma whether or not that's tasteful i don't know i just think it's very interesting and it's an interesting way to do it Mm -hmm. because i think just talking about it doesn't necessarily get the message across but putting a figure in his album and kind of in a way standing behind him and hoping that he'll get better and overcome his generational trauma is an interesting way of, I guess, shaping the album. Yeah. And it's like, 
it's like a current figure too because like he mentions like other sort of controversial figures from the black community earlier on too because he he at least like mentions r kelly but like r R kelly's not on the album and like i think it's important at least from what you're saying it sounds like it's important that it is someone younger than kendrick who's you know been the subject of controversies current controversy like literally right now like i don't think the point could have come across if for example it was r kelly on the album or chris brown or mm-hmm. whoever yeah well actually i don't know it's hard to, it can, it's just it's a really tough topic i don't know because also like kodak black hasn't gone to jail for the assault it was mm-hmm. like an innocent till proven guilty thing and I don't know. It's it's a lot, especially in hip hop culture, when a, a lot of people came from like impoverished lifestyle and had to join gangs, um, and do things like immoral things to, to get money when they could. Right? They and then they move up and then they're seen as great figures. Like I think Jay Z, for example, I'm pretty sure I read this thing where he actually killed the guy when he was younger, but he's pushed up as this. Like he's an extreme. He's one of the biggest rappers of all time. Extremely successful, and he's not really called out for that, right? Mm-hmm. So why? But then, if you have someone like like <laughs> this is kind of stupid, but like the baby uh, made a stupid homophobic comment at a festival, and he was slandered for that. And it's like, in my opinion, I don't think the baby's homophobic. I think he was just saying stupid things because he's not the smartest guy. And he's like a really young dude too, isn't he? Uh, he's like 30. Um, I mean, compared to, yeah, but anyways, like the point is like, I feel like there's a lot of hypocrisy in terms of it's okay if you killed someone in the past and kind of got away with it. But if you say something that people don't like, then that's more of an issue, even though like for someone like the baby too, he was raised probably in a culture where homophobia was extremely heavy. I don't like, is it, is it really that fair to cancel him? for saying something homophobic, even though he's like, because he rose to fame really quickly. It's tough for him to be in an environment and also understand all these things because of the way he grew up. So like, is that fair to him? You know? I mean, like I've like come to realize how crazy a statement this is to actually say, but like sort of like a personal connection there is like, for me, when I was growing up, there was no racism where I lived. Because, like, no one was racist. Why? Because there was no other race. Like, we were all white. So, like, it didn't come up. And it's not that we weren't racist. It's that we never had any other races to be racist against. Not, I don't, I hope that we wouldn't have been. But, like, you know, in in a similar environment, if you're raised in a place where there either aren't any uh, gay people or where you're not aware of them because those people are afraid to come out. And so they don't, then homophobia is going to be a lot more like, not only is it going to be more of a problem for you, it's going to be something you don't think about because it's not something you have to deal with on a day-to-day basis at all from any angle. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's like, it's tough to really, like how how much do you blame someone for what they say or their actions given the way they were raised mm-hmm. and how they are themselves in a lot of ways victims 
Like there's mm-hmm. the, the really cliche saying, "Hurt people, hurt people." I think he actually says that in uh, the Heart oh, really? Part Five. Like, oh, okay, well, wow. it's really quick, but he says yeah. it when he does his Will Smith verse. Oh, okay, but yeah, like that's that's what I mean. It's like, how easy it, is it for me to criticize? Like I grew up in a well-educated environment that was safe, and uh, I was taught that homophobia was bad. So mm-hmm. then, how can I criticize someone that, due to circumstances that were in no control of their own, grew up in a poor environment with a bad education, and because of that, they have homophobic tendencies. Like, mm-hmm. it's easy for me to criticize someone like that, but it's also like, if I, if I grew up in that situation, I would probably be homophobic too. Or I would, yeah. I would say insensitive things. It's just, it's, it's a really tough topic, and I think the album does a really good, has a really good point of pointing, like, of bringing this out through Kodak Black. Um, and I don't necessarily think, like, I think it's kind of unfortunate to judge people because Kodak isn't in jail right now. He has been deemed innocent enough, at least, to be free right now, right? Well, I mean, and that may just be because he hasn't gone to court yet. Yeah, but I mean, like, the old adage is innocent before proven guilty. Yeah. We shouldn't be judging people or saying he's a criminal until he's actually convicted and mm-hmm. sent to court for rape and assault. Even, I mean, like, and if he did it, that's, you know, that's that's really bad on him. But also, I feel like the general, it's, it's a really tough topic. I think it's important to point out, because, like, I, I really hope, I really hope that any of the controversies that we've been talking about here were not on the wrong side of them, whatever that ends up being. <laughs> but, like, also, I want to say that, like, it's, I think the main point that it sounds to me like we're getting at here is that all of the things that are controversial on this album, Kendrick's bringing up in, he's bringing up like important points about them and he's using them to say, to say something. I think it's worth interrogating whether or not he says those points. Well, like is bringing Kodak black onto his album, the best way to make that point. I don't think the answer is yes. I don't necessarily think the answer has to be no, but I think it's worth interrogating. And I think it's similar with like Auntie Diaries. Are the lyrics of Auntie Diaries the best way to make the point that he did? And I don't know that they are, but I think it's, I think it's like worth considering those things. And I think that's the biggest thing on this album is like, this is an album by a person who makes mistakes, who's not infallible, who like, you know, has things to say and maybe doesn't know the right way to say them all the time. That's the main point of this album that I get. And it's kind of why it's why I think that in a lot of ways, this album does hit harder than the other ones. And like, I think you said that like you found it more relatable than either of the other two that we've listened to on this, on, on the show. But also I think that for the same reason, I would question just about anybody who would call this his best. Like, I don't think it's his best album, but Mm. I think that it's really interesting for, you know, we've been talking about it for an hour. Clearly there's stuff to say about this. Yeah. I'd probably, like, I think this is probably, like, my favorite album of his in terms of the relatability, if that makes Mm -hmm. sense. Because I I think I just like the idea this this is an album where only someone in Kendrick's position could make. I can think of no other, at least hip-hop artist, 
yeah. that can make an album talking about these topics and have it be widely listened to and people actually talk about it, right? I feel like mm-hmm. if someone like like Drake were, were to make an album like this, he would be like, he would be done. <laughs> like, it would be like really awkward and there's no way he would ever make that, right? Didn't Drake just drop, drop an album? He did, yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's the, like the opposite of this album. Oh, no. I was, it was weird. It was like a... It, it's like a, a dance dance hall album. There's actually like no rapping in it, um, oh, except weird. for one track. But the problem is like this, his singing isn't very good in it, and it's not very gotcha. catchy. So, but yeah, same thing with like like Kanye. I think he's on a similar level to Kendrick, like in terms of popularity. But I think if you were to say a lot of the things Kendrick's saying here, he wouldn't be taken seriously. I think Kanye is at a level where he could potentially make a similar album. He yeah. could not make this album. Yeah, no, yeah, I think um, because uh, one of my favorite albums from Kanye, th- th- this album actually reminds me a lot of that album. It's called Yay from 2018, and it's a lot shorter, but it's a very it's it's an album where he talks about his issues with his mental health, and it's it's very like unfiltered and uncomfortable to listen to in a lot of ways. That album is what made me a fan of Kanye because I feel like it's it's I think it's just really cool to see these figures that we really look up to as really cool and bigger than life. And I think it takes a lot of courage to unfil- like put your thoughts out there unfiltered and mm-hmm. truly let people see who you are, especially when it's on a worldwide stage. Well, and especially when you don't have to. Like, Yeah, exactly. Kendrick and Kanye can sit back in their silver chairs and be, uh, and be gods if they wanted to. <laughs> yeah. And... Sometimes that's exactly what Kanye wants to do. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, like, like this is only an album Kendrick can make. I, I feel like it could have been better for sure, and I think it, it is flawed. But I'd still say it's my favorite because of what he's putting out there and how interesting it is. Mm-hmm. So yeah, because like yeah, production wise, it's pretty like compare the production on this like to Pimp a Butterfly. It's like it's like night and day, right? Like. Yeah, Pimp a Butterfly is insanely more sonically cohesive and ambitious. But this, I think, also if this album had that type of production, it wouldn't have felt right. So it's hard to say, but yeah, yeah. I I do think this is a really good album, though, and like the probably the best one this year so far for me. So I think for me, like, I don't think I have much more to say that I haven't already said and that you haven't already said, actually. Like, I think it's good. To me, this is the one where my, like, of the Kendrick albums we've talked about, this is the one where my feelings on it are most uncertain. Like, I kind of don't know how much I like it, but I know I like it less than the other two that we saw, that we listened to. However, I really, really respect this album because, like, it is, it feels the most personal. I think I may have said that about Damn, and I meant that at the time, but this feels even more personal than Damn. Mm-hmm. And yeah, like, I, it is really good. If anyone is listening to this for an hour and a half instead of listening to that album, listen instead to of listening album. to Mr. Morale and the Big Steppers, what are you doing? Go listen to Mr. Morale and the Big Steppers. Like, it's worth your time for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, yeah, I think Kendrick succeeded in making something different than before which i think is a big thing for me too Mm. um this isn't derivative at all of his past work and that makes me more excited for his future stuff because i don't know 
like even after this now now i really don't know where he's gonna go <laughs> next because yeah i really feel like he's aired a lot of the thoughts he's had out there he's, he did his childhood his, he did his political album he's, he's done his extremely i guess poet poetic album and damn and and poppy album and then mm-hmm. he did a very personal album i don't know what he's gonna do but i'm excited because exactly i don't i don't know what he honestly i mean i he definitely couldn't make this album again next year no but like <laughs> if he want if he wanted the next album to be another thing where he's just working through issues i'd kind of be here for it because yeah. i think like now that he's made it once i can't imagine he would make it worse the second time yeah and if nothing else this album is the most interesting album that i've heard from him Mm. like well that might not be true to pimp a butterfly was really interesting for a lot of different reasons but it's interesting in a different way too where like i think i would like to hear another album from kendrick that's as interesting as this one was Mm -hmm. yeah i i agree with that all right cool so, oh, do we think, do we rate the albums out of ten? Usually, have we done that? I before? think I th- I can't remember. I remember that on on to pimp a butterfly at the very end when I think you asked a similar question. I was like, "What does it even matter? It's a ten out of ten. Who cares? Oh, okay, five yeah. out of five. Go watch it." But like, yeah, go watch the album. But like, <laughs> if you want to rate it out of ten, I don't know if I could honestly. Mm. Like, I'll think about it. But what what would you give it if you did want to rate it out of ten? I think I give it like an eight. 8.5 maybe. Okay. It's like if it had better production or more interesting production, I think it could have been like a 9 or like close to a 10, but yeah, it is lacking in that area so. Yeah. I want to say I want to say I'd give it like a 7, but like mm. also with the caveat that like I straight up don't know how I would rate this album because there's so much to unpack on this album and I've listened to it four times and I feel like I haven't listened to it enough. It's one where I still don't understand my feelings on this album. Yeah, that's fair. I I feel like this is also, I mean, I've been listening to this for since it came out. So I feel like my thoughts, I guess are more finalized. Whereas you, you, you mostly listen to it like this week, right? I think I've been listening to it for two weeks, but like, I have a lot of other stuff to do, so it hasn't been like completely on repeat those yeah, two that's, weeks. That's fair. I think it took me like it's more settling in now how much I like this, especially after talking about it. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas at first, I definitely was like kind of disappointed. So, yeah. Anyways, well, that's the first hour and a half. We will be back very shortly to, for the last, probably not quite hour and a half. <laughs> probably not. We got one more thing we got to talk about. Before I go and fast asleep, love me for me. Greetings, we're Technically a Conversation, a podcast for curious people by curious people. Every week, we take turns presenting a new topic, and the other host has no idea what the topic will be. We strive to educate in a way that's loose and fun. Our topics are all over the place, from light and funny to dark and sometimes spooky. Some of the topics we've covered include urban legends, civil rights activists, vampires, pop culture icons, 
the supernatural and occult, spies and espionage, science and astronomy, and other weird and random things. If any of these topics interest you, give our podcast a shot. Listen and subscribe at technicallyaconversation.com, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. Parental advisory. We might use strong language. MTS, you'll go from Mars Transfer Orbit. We read you loud and clear. Welcome to MTS 42. We had a smooth launch. I couldn't be working with a more talented crew. Two years is a long time to be away, but this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. It's only been a few hours, but it's already a life-changing experience. It does take a little while to get adjusted to the artificial gravity. You need anything? I'll be all right. A beer? So thoughtful. We are taking the first steps to being able to call Mars a second home. I'm more than confident in their ability. I know they can handle anything that comes their way. Hello everyone, welcome back to part two of this extremely long Kendrick, uh, kicking over Kendrick episode, sorry. I was going to say Kendrick Lamar just because this today really does feel like it's more Kendrick Lamar, but we cannot forget the other, other Kendrick of the Anna variety, and we are be, going to be talking about her latest, you just said her latest movie, right? At least so far, this is the most recent movie she's released. So we started, our very first episode was, uh, we, we talked about Damn by Kendrick Lamar, and then we paired that with Anna Kendrick's first movie ever, Camp, yep. and now we've once again come back to pair Anna Kendrick's so far latest movie with another Kendrick Lamar album. So now we're going to talk about Stowaway. Directed by Joe Penna. And like... This was wild. I was so like normally when we're when we're going through working through how to talk about these episodes, we look up things like who's the director? Can we talk about the director a bit? Can we talk about like anything else? Anything interesting <laughs> about this production? Joe Penna is a guy with a YouTube channel, Mystery Guitar Man. Apparently that's how he's best known, which is really funny to me. Yeah, it's uh I've I can't say I've actually ever heard of a YouTuber becoming a filmmaker. Except maybe Bo Burnham. Oh yeah, I guess. But then also like a a musician YouTuber. That's quite interesting. I wasn't expecting that. Yeah, because like here, at least with Bo Burnham, you have that little more natural progression. I mean, what is a natural progression in the entertainment industry? But he like he was a YouTuber, and then he became a comedian who would like do stand up, and then he became you know he was st- when he was a stand up comedian he would do specials. And sometimes he would like experiment with those specials and then he started directing specials and now he directs movies, not exclusively, but it's one thing, but like there's a natural progression there. Uh, Mystery Guitar Man doesn't seem to have as obvious of a progression, though it looks like he has done a lot just through YouTube. Yeah. I mean, he was at least the most subscribed YouTuber in Brazil. He might still be. I don't know. But yeah, and he got. Is this a was this a Netflix movie? How was this distributed? And so this was definitely distributed by Netflix in the U.S. Okay. But in Canada, I watched it on Amazon Prime, 
where it was included with Amazon Prime. So I assume that it was one that was distributed primarily by Prime in uh, in Canada. And then in other parts of the world, it just hasn't released yet. Not everywhere in the world. Like I think it's Netflix in a lot of countries, Amazon in some countries. But I know in German-speaking territories, it doesn't have a release date yet, I don't think. And it's intended to come to theaters, like in Germany and Austria. Oh, okay. That's that's interesting. It didn't feel like it felt kind of like a streaming movie production wise, to be honest. It's a very small movie, I guess. Yeah, uh, it's it's a small movie, but it's small in the in the way that a lot of space movies are, like without feeling like streaming space movies necessarily. Like I definitely could see myself going to see this in a theater the same way I went to go see Gravity in a theater. It's not the same movie as Gravity. It's obviously got a lot lower budget than Gravity. Well, I don't know. I don't know. That that seems obvious. I don't know if that's actually true. I think it is, though. Um, but, like, it it feels very similar to that kind of movie. Yeah. Well, I, I, I definitely say Gravity was much more cinematic. I, I'd say, like... Yeah. Like, what you're saying in terms of it's just a bunch of people alone in space makes sense. Um, but Gravity was much more, I felt like, a, a visual effects um, adventure. At least that's what it turned out to be. Whereas this was kind of a contemplative, philosophical movie. But then it kind of turns into Gravity at by the end, which was kind of disappointing. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, I also think this movie is like a lot more straightforward than Gravity was. Because I remember Gravity being like so full of metaphors that you either go into that movie and hate it because nothing happens or you love it Mm. because it was all metaphor and you got a lot out of it. I don't know if that's necessarily a binary, but like I remember that being a big complaint about, or like there, there being a couple of camps about gravity where this movie, like, you know, you, you like it or you don't. I don't think there's actually that much to read into this movie. I think it's pretty straightforward. Yeah, it's kind of surprising considering, again, the scale of it, you'd think they would focus much more on, like, the philosophical aspects. But, yeah, kind of like, well, like, I don't know. This, I mean, it, it is kind of a unique movie in terms of, like, I've seen Gravity. I said Gravity was much more of a visual effects phenomenon. And then we had kind of The Martian uh, a little after that. That was kind of, it felt like more of a... a a space blockbuster, if that makes sense. You kind of had just Matt Damon fighting the elements, waiting to be saved. It felt much more, used, like, I guess, consumer-friendly. This feels kind of like a bottle episode in space. Yeah. It's very isolated and pretty slow. Do you want to summarize what this movie's about? Sure. It's uh, basically three astronauts go to space space or their intention is to go to mars Mm -hmm. and i guess it's gonna be pretty easy to explain and then it turns out there's a guy on the ship and he doesn't know how he got there and it's problematic because they were not expecting i mean in space travel i'm guessing you know food wise oxygen wise they had enough for three people they weren't expecting a fourth and they're going to mars so this is like a two-year trip that's basically the premise they have a stowaway Mm -hmm. and they need to I guess, deal with the consequences of having an extra person on the ship. Yeah, it's basically it. 
Yeah, and like it's straightforward. I think there is there are a lot of like like philosophical questions brought up, but they're not really like interrogated that much because the point of this movie really is they have to find a way to support a fourth person. And like there's very few points in the movie where it seems like they're earnestly considering that as an option and not as a certainty. Like if if that makes sense. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I say, I, I, it's, I think the problem with the movie though, is that it is way too, like there's no twists or anything. That's literally like the whole movie Mm -hmm. Um, until maybe the very end where uh, I don't, I guess I shouldn't really talk about it yet, but the climax is just, is a lot different than the rest of the movie. And, the climax uh, is a little unexpected, but I would even hesitate to call that really a twist either. Yeah, it's just kind of something happens, and anyways, we'll get to it. Yeah, but yeah, I, I definitely say it had a lot of potential in the premise, um, especially with how unique it is compared to like the other movies we talked about. But it doesn't really execute on like well on any level. Like, like first of all, I feel like if you're going to put if you if your movie is going to be so heavily centered around these four people just hanging out and talking to each other they need to have some form of chemistry i felt like negative chemistry between all four of these characters i never felt like any of them actually really got along mm. every everything felt really robotic to me and it especially wasn't convincing considering um i feel like these like these guys trained together right so it's not like this was awkward small talk. These guys were, I mean, the three astronauts were supposed to have known each other for a long period of time before coming on this trip. But a lot of the, all the scenes we had with them together just felt really awkward and forced. And like, it didn't feel like they got along that well. Like, I was like, if I was on that ship and there was a, we had to kick someone out, I would have jumped out because I wouldn't want to <laughs> spend two years with like those extremely awkward conversations they were having. Damn, yeah, that's fair. Yeah. I, I'm sorry, I don't... What, what did you think about the them together? The general guess, vibe? Like, I didn't hate it. I didn't notice anything. But you're right. Like, it wasn't especially good chemistry. I don't know if I would be quite as harsh to say negative chemistry. But I think that is really important. Because, like, it's important throughout the movie that we believe that they don't want to kick anyone off that ship because they all like each other. Like, obviously they don't want to kick anyone off that ship. You know, it's it's early on established. It's the premise of the movie. They don't want to commit a murder by throwing a man into space. Like, that's just not something they want to do. And by the end of the movie, like, that's still the main reason they don't want to consider the option of just throwing a man into space is because that would be morally wrong. And yeah. sure, I am willing to accept that. I too think it would be morally wrong to throw a man into space. However, when you've got four characters and that has to be a real option they have to consider, it's important that the reason they don't consider that option is because they all like each other. Like, I think that is an important aspect. Yeah, it would be nice. It would be... Yeah. It's not necessary, but it would make me buy into the movie more. Um, and actually have an emotional connection to the drama. Because I guess the first act is essentially 
but they have to prove that these people like each other and set up that the premise but mm -hmm. so that there's like emotional consequences when we realize oh all four of these people can't stay on this ship but again i didn't care who who died honestly because i felt like none of them got along and the thing is like it's not that i didn't care about anything in this movie i cared very deeply about algae in this movie but like <laughs> i didn't care as much about the people yeah but also i guess that like i don't know if we want to go there quite yet maybe 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 not but like i think that might just have to be with the fact that one of the actors in this movie just completely knocks it out of the park so hard it's like such a good performance really Which... that might like daniel I... die kim oh. i think is so good in this movie i feel like he had potential, but they really limited him. Like, because I remember there's there's a scene where he's like really angry and stuff, and once he starts, he he seems to kind of falter morally more quickly than the others, right? And he mm -hmm. actually felt like a very interesting character once he got to that point. But when he's just acting like a normal person, a lot of his his performance felt very stiff and like overly formal, if that makes sense. Mm. So yeah. But yeah, I think you're right. Like, I remember his acting in those scenes the most. I think he had a lot more potential. This isn't the entire reason that he felt stiff. I'm sure the reason that he felt stiff was because he was stiff. But, like, <laughs> a lot of that, too, is he's playing an academic. And, like, he's playing an academic who, like, has spent years of his life working towards being able to do biology experiments in space. Like, this movie presents us with the moral quandary do we throw a man into space to kill him? Mm. And if we accept that the answer to that must be no, then, then like due to what's going on on the ship, that kind of necessitates that he has to like become either very protective of, or uh, of his life's work or completely throw it away because his life's work can produce oxygen for the ship because he's working on like algae which produce which eat carbon dioxide and spit it out as oxygen mm -hmm. but like early on that becomes their only source of oxygen at the expense of his research potentially for the next two years yeah. and i think that he like i thought that was just so sad to see him deal with maybe it's because i myself have done research not nearly something as high stakes as that but like I mean, I really, I really believed in his performance that like he was a guy who'd been working his entire life up to this and was being asked to throw away the next two years of his life to help someone that he didn't know and frankly didn't care about. Yeah. Well, I, I almost wish we got more of a, a reaction from him. I mean, he was surprisingly civil, but like, I, again, like it's, it's his life's way. And like, isn't that, wasn't that literally the whole point of the mission? Like, if he uses up all his research stuff, like, what is the... Because Anna Kendrick's only there to be the doctor, and if anyone gets hurt on the trip, she can help them. Tony Collette's there to just captain the ship. His research is the only thing that matters. That's why they're going. Yeah, I, I feel like there must have been something else, but if there was, they didn't communicate it. Like, I think yeah. that might have been it. Because then it's just like, so they're just going to spend the next two years going to Mars and then coming back for, like, literally nothing? Like, mm -hmm. seriously, I don't know. That was, that like that, I would be really pissed if someone did that to me. And I wish we got more of that, if that makes sense. Because yeah, I think the 
Well, actually, no, I'll talk about that later. We should finish talking about the performances because we got, we got three more people. Oh, yeah. What do you think about Tony Collette? I think she played her job very functionally. Tony Collette is a great actor, and I think that in this movie, she also acts very well. Mm-hmm. I don't think she was given very much to do. Like, she she gets to be the hard-ass ship captain, and, like, she does that well. But, like, I just spent that time talking about Daniel Dai Kim and how I, like, and how I felt that he, like, really communicated his performance. Even if it wasn't perfect, it was, like, a really emotional performance. There's a reason I started with him before we even started talking about actors is because like that was, I think the best performance in this. And I feel like almost every other performance comparing it to it is almost unfair with, with Tony Collette's performance. It's good, but I wish I had that same thing as with Daniel Dai Kim, where like, I don't see her emotional connection to most of this plot other than that she's the commander of this ship. And so like what I really would have wanted out of this, out of this movie more than I got is the fact that there's an extra person on the ship is a huge problem. And they really, and they have to wrestle with that morally from a lot of different angles. Daniel Dai Kim does that. I feel like no one else does. Like, I feel like Tony Collette is very much in the camp of, we pretty much have to kill him because it's important. So let's throw him into space. And she only wrestles with that thought insofar as she knows that doing that would upset the rest of the people on her ship so much that they would no longer be able to function throughout the mission. So that's the only reason she even entertains another option, which is like, fine. But I just feel like we don't get any of that inner life where with Daniel Dai Kim, it's at least like, it's at least implied very heavily in almost every scene. Well, yeah, it's just every other character is so passive and like useless. I don't know how to, how is this? Like, the, she's the captain. She doesn't really do anything for the whole movie. Mm-hmm. And she just feels like, like she's supposed to be the captain. They're supposed to look up to her. And she's just like, she just feels useless. Same thing with Anna Kendrick. She's just like, so the whole time she's like, no, there's like a way we can fix it. And then like, they don't, act on it until they absolutely have to if that makes sense and she doesn't do anything else it's like she's complaining the whole movie about doing something and then they don't do it until like there's an emergency yeah that is actually another thing that bugged me in this movie is uh early on they say there could be more oxygen at like the end of the ship i don't remember exactly what it was but like at the end of the space thing that they're on yeah they could there there might be more oxygen there but they don't know that for sure and no one comes up with any other ideas. And then they just sit on that for a bit. And that's the climax of the movie is actually checking that place. And it's like, I, don't, I get that they don't want to go there until they have no other option. They actually run out of options right about the time they say that that is an option. So it's like, you can just go, actually. Yeah. And I didn't like how she's like, like, it's just she waited till the last second to do it. Like, that was really mm-hmm. annoying. And the same thing, again, with Jameer Anderson, who plays the stowaway. He's just there, and it feels like everyone's just kind of like, should we kill him? Should we not? And he just, like, has nothing to say. <laughs> and he can't do anything. Like, it's just, it's really frustrating. And it's like, he doesn't even know how he got there, too. Like, he was not a person. He was just a problem to make the plot move forward. But he, there's no scene of him, like, arguing or wanting to fight back 
you know, or there's no twist with him, like how did he get on the ship or whatever. Like there's nothing else to it. He's just a really nice guy who does nothing the whole movie. Which actually I think is interesting as a character concept. Because like the philosophical question at the heart of this movie is do we kill a dude who's doesn't mind being there he's just not prepared for the situation he's in like do we just throw him into space because we have to or is murder still wrong actually and like maybe that's not the best way to express that point but like i think it would be interesting for the characters to have to grapple with you know are there any other options when really the most utilitarian option is just to throw him into space but, like, the thing is that from the very beginning, not only is that the most utilitarian option, it is also, they're not presented with anything else. With the exception of the one thing they're presented with that they just don't do. Yeah. I liked how he was useless in terms of actually managing the ship. That yeah. made sense. I didn't like how he was so passive with everyone talking about killing him basically mm -hmm. um like obviously there was a point where he's not really made aware until like halfway through the movie i want to say but there's a scene where daniel day kim's character he gives him something that would kill him basically poison mm -hmm. i don't know where he would get this on a spaceship but he got it from anna kendrick's medical supplies no but it's like why would she have a a sedative uh, like a painless way to kill someone on the ship if that makes sense in the form i guess of that's a good point like that anyways that's not that's not the biggest issue with this movie but he gives it to him and he's just kind of sitting there and he's like really sad about it. he's like oh man do i have to kill myself this guy wants me to kill myself and then he doesn't really say anything until anna kendrick's like wait no you can't kill yourself and then he goes with it and he's like oh, okay i guess i won't and it's just like he never like actually reacted to that he just got sad and he wasn't mad at all at anyone and he wasn't confused he was just like oh man you know like, it was just, he didn't really do, he didn't, I wanted more from that. Like, imagine yeah. being stuck on a ship that you never wanted to be on, and then some. this person's, that you looked up to, was like, hey, can you please kill yourself? You know? Or, like, something from his past, like, maybe he's angry about how he got on the ship or anything, but we get nothing. He's on the ship well, randomly, and he's kind of sad that they want to kill him. Yeah, I think, like... That's where, in a if, with slightly better execution, this would have been a really interesting, like, philosophical movie, right? Like, he should actually be, in terms of writing and personality and performance, Shamir Anderson actually needs to be the most interesting character in this movie. Like, he has mm -hmm. to be the best character because we as the audience have to not want him to die for reasons other than we don't want someone to die. Like, we have to want yeah. him specifically to not die. Yeah. Hell, as the audience, we should be rooting for, if anyone, we should be, this movie should put us in a position where we're rooting for them to throw Tony Collette into space before they throw Shamir <laughs> Anderson into space. Yeah. No, that's like, we never get to that point where they're actively trying to figure out who should die. It's, it, it's almost really cool. It's like a whodunit before it actually happened, you know? Where yeah. We're like, who's going to die? How is it going to happen? And, like, we have some character motivation from Daniel Gay Kim to be pissed. But, like, again, with Tony Collette and Anna Kendrick, they have no, like, emotional... 
because he doesn't get they don't get along with the character that well like they have no chemistry and then also they don't really have any real purpose on the trip if that makes sense like other than the the need to survive like i liked how they give yeah. daniel day kim's character extra motivation in terms of his life's research has been killed off basically mm-hmm. and he's he's angry that that would have been nice and i think that's a really interesting arc that would have been much better to carry into the third act rather than i thought it was a real okay this is a spoiler i guess sort of yeah well spoilers now spoilers now it was a really big cop-out and really lazy writing to have all the algae fail and put them in a position where they had to go along with anna kendrick's plan because that turned it into instead of who should die it's one of them just died because they had to, if that makes sense. They No one had mm-hmm. to choose anything. And that kind of throws out the whole first two-thirds of the movie when they were trying to decide this, and it kind of makes the whole thing feel pointless. You know, Frankly, the first thing they should have done should have been the option they did at the end, like going to get the oxygen. Well, yeah, because like even like the algae only lasts for like a day. I mean, for what it's worth, they didn't know that. No, I know, but like, in the end, even if they threw that guy out, they still would have had to get more oxygen. And potentially someone else would have died. If that makes mm. sense. It just all feels so pointless. If that was if they were gonna go that route, they should have brought that earlier into the movie rather than give us this moral dilemma for two thirds of the movie and then completely skip over it to give us some weird bad action space adventure thing that ends up with Anna Kendrick dying. Not because mm. anyone chose her to, or not because she was a victim, but because she literally was the only person that could do it. Mm-hmm. Like, she didn't choose to either. It's like, she literally had to, or else they it's all like, would have died. When movies are bleak, but they do it really well, I really like that. And this movie was almost that perfect kind of bleak. Because, like, I, I agree with you that they should have, like, presented those choices earlier but by not presenting those choices earlier they did sort of funnel them into a position where okay well now it's not even about saving this guy now it's that if you don't do this everyone will die and then for a brief moment it looks like that's completely failed and then like uh and i can't and then they're like you can't i'm sorry we're done we're done you can't go back up there's a lethal storm outside you will die and she's like i gotta do it anyway and then the ending ends up being like, she saved everyone else, but at what cost? And it's like, well, I've seen that ending before. I don't I don't care that much. I don't necessarily yeah. know that not letting her do that would have been the best possible ending to this movie either. But I think a better ending than that could only have really been achieved by in making some fundamentally different choices earlier. Yeah. Yeah, by the end, I think by that point, you can't really save it. Yeah, because when Anna Kendrick goes back out and come and tries to come back with the oxygen tank, it's like, well, that I don't know. It, it feels like a cop out. That part to me is what feels like the cop out for you. It was earlier than that, but like, mm. at worst, that's two cop outs, which is way too many cop outs. Yeah, and then I never really cared for Anna Kendrick's character, anyways, because there was a little like, I think we are meant to care for her because she's the one that really fights to save the stowaway and do whatever they can to save him but i never really felt like like that wasn't enough 
They didn't give me enough. For me, it all circles back to Daniel Dai Kim. I feel like Daniel Dai Kim was giving us a real reason why we should not save the stowaway. Like in a perfect version of this movie, I think that Anna Kendrick and Shamir Anderson together should have given us a real reason that we should save the stowaway. Because Mm. by the end, I wasn't like, I wasn't rooting for Shamir Anderson's character to die or anything. But like by the end, I had seen Daniel Dai Kim's character lose everything and get to the point where when he says that he'll go out and like help Anna Kendrick get the oxygen tank, he says it in the same way as someone who is like, yeah, I'll walk out onto the tracks. Who cares? I don't care. Yeah. And like, that's an interesting place for his character to get to. I don't think everyone needed to get to that specific place with their characters, but I felt like he did the most personality work of anyone there. Mm -hmm. And I feel like I would have really liked if we could have had an opposite side of that with Anna Kendrick and Shamir Anderson. Yeah. If Daniel D. Kim or Shamir Anderson went out instead of Anna Kendrick and died, I think it would have been at least a little more interesting. Because I think it would have been like Daniel take him, he loses all his research through no fault of his own, and then he ends up dying. Would have been like really depressing, I guess. Just because that would have been super bleak. He got fucked over the whole movie, but that makes me feel something, right? Like at least. I mean, it turns the movie into a movie about Daniel Dai Kim, which it was close to being for half the movie anyway. You know, you could just fully commit. That is an angle. Yeah, or you get Shamir Anderson out there, and he has a, a heroic almost redemption moment where he was there through no will of his own. And then he ends up actually saving the crew by being there, but then dying in the process. That could have been interesting too, because then you get some kind of, you know, heroic arc. Well, it gives him a reason to be alive. Right. And like the, I hate to say this, but like, I really feel like throughout the entire movie, the reason that we want Shamir Anderson to live is that we don't want someone to die. And like, that's that's all it is is like if he had a moment like that or if he yeah if he had a moment like that or if we got to spend more time with him then like he would be a more complete character and our reason to want him to live would be that we want him specifically to be alive yeah that would be that would be better (laughs) yeah especially like i wish tony collette would actually be involved in this process in some way. I feel like she didn't even, like, argue about whether he should die or not. She didn't go out, like, in space at all. She didn't... She was just there. And, like, Mm -hmm. we have a whole fourth character who's just kind of a filler character that doesn't... that isn't involved in this process either. Um, And Mm -hmm. that makes it even worse. So, there's so much potential here that is wasted. Yeah. But I think there's just so... Like, this isn't just, like, a couple tweaks thing. I think they had to, like, they'd have to recast this movie, rewrite it. I think probably give it the same... Well, no, I think the same budget would have worked, but, like, I didn't like how there's that really bad exposition scene at the start where they seem to, like, they don't want to show other people, which I kind of get from an artistic perspective, but when they're, like, they're giving expositional dialogue in, like, a TV interview... Uh, that we don't see. It just felt really lazy. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think take out all the space, all the outer space stuff, keep them all in the thing and make it like a, make it very claustrophobic and then have them actually decide who they have to kill. 
Yeah. Have that just ramp up until someone actually dies. And then they all have to live with that for the whole trip. That would have been really interesting to me. So, mm-hmm. yeah. As it is, it's it's not good. I think the, like, the premise of this movie is really interesting. I actually think they could keep most of this movie the same if they had a much better script. Because I really think that, like, even all of the individual events of this movie would be fine if I cared more about the characters in them. Yeah. Well, I think that, like, what you described is a perfect version of this movie. It would be rebuilt from the ground up. But, like, even if I had more reason to care about Anna Kendrick character, Shamir Anderson's character, and I thought that Tony Collette was, like, doing a little more, then I would have, like, felt even more tense during this movie. Just the way that the plot plays out, it's a little bit tense. Like, I was very, I was actively watching this movie. I wasn't on my phone or anything. Mm-hmm. But, like, if we had more of those inner lives of those characters for more of the movie, I think it would have hit a lot better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's not like there was that, that would have been that hard. Like, there's only four characters. It's yeah, not well, like that's they... what I'm saying. I think you really only have to change the script. Mm. Yeah. Unfortunately. Did, did he write the script, too? I need to check that. He wrote it with Ryan Morrison. Oh, okay. Yeah, they could have really worked on that. Anyways. I mean, as much as I'm trashing this movie, I really did like it. If we were ranking this in Anna Kendrick's filmography, I'd put this at lower up, lower, like, high tier for me. Oh, wow. Uh, I'd probably put this mid-tier. Like, it was actually, like, pretty watchable. Very mediocre. I think, like at a cinematography level and basically just how the movie looks and feels, I think it's really well executed. I think the biggest problems in this movie are the writing and that it's got so much potential that it doesn't quite live up to. Yeah. Not even quite, that it just doesn't live up to. Yeah. But yeah, I I wasn't, I think there's some, some of these movies I've had a real struggle watching. I didn't like struggle to watch this. I was moderately interested throughout mm-hmm. the whole thing so yeah where would you put this in terms of like anna kendrick's performance specifically this is mid like very smack down in the middle i think it's okay. uh like i i liked her in this and i th- I bought her in the role i think she seems like a very a person i can believe is very empathetic but i i don't think she really added more than just being there gotcha yeah. i mean I think I'd put like upper mid. I enjoyed seeing her in this role. And like, I thought that she was a real joy to see on screen anytime she was there. But I don't think the script gave her quite enough for her to, for her to be portraying a really interesting character that I cared a lot about. Or alternatively, it didn't give her enough room for her to bring enough of herself into the character that I like Mm. cared about it for that reason. So I think that it was like, she was really good at executing what the movie wanted her to, but I don't think the movie gave her a lot of room to do much more than that. Yeah. Unfortunate. There we go. That's Stowaway. We've now talked about at least one movie from every ep- from every year of Anna Kendrick's career. And we've talked about almost every movie she's been. We're missing two. Whoa, what are those movies? I gotta remember what they are. That I'm guessing we're talking about next week. 
Yep, the next time we talk, we're gonna talk about digging for fire. And the last one that we haven't talked about is a movie starring Shia LaBeouf. It is called The Company You Keep. Oh. So next week, we'll talk about The Company You Keep. We'll talk about digging for fire. And then we were gonna wrap up this whole series and talk about what we learned. Whoa.